Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Hey, it is so good to be here with you. My name is Ben. If I have not met you yet, I'm our student pastor, which means I get to work with our 6th through 12th graders. Uh, We just had a full weekend. So like Mark said, I'm a little bit exhausted, but I am so excited to be here with you as we wrap our series who we are. And so if you're new, I just want to catch you up. Mark mentioned it. We're establishing a new permanent campus Easter of 2025. But we, as excited as we are about that, we acknowledge it is just a tool to pursue God's mission, which we say this way, to share Jesus and to build believers. And so as we enter this new season as a church, we thought it would be helpful to talk about the three priorities that will define us as a church, who we are. Why? Because our priorities will determine our pathway. Uh, I think of it this way, in January of 2023, so just over a year ago, I told Sean, she's my boss, I told her I was going to lose 25 pounds before I went on a cruise that May. I was like, I'm I'm just going to get shredded, I'm going to lose a ton of weight, it's going to be great. Uh, And she told me it was a lofty goal, she said, okay, we'll we'll see. Uh, So I assured her, this is going to be no problem. Uh, And so she would check in on me along the way. So from January to May, I said, hey, I got to lose 25 pounds in five months. And that quickly turned into, I got to lose 25 pounds in the next three months, And that turned into, I got to lose 30 pounds by next month, which eventually became, I don't think I'm losing 30 pounds by next week. Uh, And so I can say all I want, hey, I need to lose 25 pounds. But if I'm not doing the things that it takes, if I'm not prioritizing eating right, if I'm not prioritizing exercise, uh, my priorities will determine my pathway. In the same way us as a church, our priorities, these are the things that we're going to prioritize to help us to get where we want to go, which is to share Jesus and build believers. So if you weren't with us, highly encourage you, go back, listen to the podcast, because Mark did an incredible job the first two weeks of breaking down our first two priorities. But I want to just catch you up if you missed them. The first one, week one, we saw this, that we are for anyone. Because Jesus loves everyone, his church is for anyone. No exceptions. Last week, Mark said this, that uh, we actually looked at this passage where Jesus says, in life we will stumble. Whether you're a believer or not, you will stumble. And it's really easy to stumble out of church, but it's a lot harder to stumble out of community. And that's why we say, for us, the most important thing that we do is our small groups. It's our life groups. It's doing life with one another. Because when you stumble, and you will, there will be people to help you out along the way. And so as we wrap up, our third priority is this, that we are for the next one. We are for the next one. We are a church that prioritizes the faith of the next generation. I love that I get to talk to you about this today of all days because we've been together all weekend. This is our students. Uh, All weekend we were together. Uh, Friday night they stayed in host homes. Uh, Some of them were even staying up here in some classrooms. Uh, All day Saturday we were together and then even last night. And so we're going to get back together uh, today. And so it's been a full weekend for our students. I've already heard some incredible stories about what God has been doing in our students' lives and I cannot wait to hear and share more of those stories with you. So I'm super excited. So let's do this. Let's talk about the next generation. But I think to do that, if we're going to talk about the next generation, let's just talk about generations in general. Uh, Because in this room, we've got a lot of generations. We've got all sorts of generations. Maybe you know about the generations. Maybe you think you're Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z, or maybe you don't know. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to the generation. So I'm going to take us back in time uh, to the years 1930 to 1946. Babies born between this, these years are known as the silent generation. Yeah, do we have anyone, any silent generation in here? 
Do we have any? I see, my grandma's actually here today. She didn't raise her hand, though, because the battery in her hearing aid died. Uh, but she would have. This is her generation. Um, no, but many of these, they were born during the Great Depression. Uh, they fought in the Korean War. They were leaders in the civil rights movement. They even created rock and roll, a great generation. Uh, but moving on, we've got the baby boomers. This is the next generation. These are babies who were born between 1946 and 1964. Uh, and and um, all of a sudden, the, the soldiers, they start coming home from war. There's a spike in births. I don't know if you need me to explain that to you. It, it adds up, right? And then following that, we've got Gen X. Uh, Gen X, these are people born between 1965 and 1980. This is also called the forgotten generation. Um, and I was doing a lot of work. I was, I was looking all over Wikipedia, seeing if I can find anything significant about this generation, and, and nothing popped up. It was crazy. The forgotten generation. I don't know why they call them that, though. Uh, no, but here, this is interesting. So my parents, they are one year apart. Uh, my dad was born in 1964, he's turning 60 this year, and he is a boomer. My mom, born one year later, she is a different generation, she is Gen X, uh, and she's turning 35 this year. Uh, she wouldn't let me use her real age, but I'll let you do the math. Uh, but it's crazy, they are, they are stereotypes of their generations, right? It is really funny to watch. My dad, he doesn't know how to shop online. Uh, my mom has to do it for him. He cannot figure out how to use Amazon, which is crazy because like babies figure out Amazon on accident and he can't figure it out on purpose. So he has to have my mom do it for him. So that's tough to see, but it's okay. It's, they're just stereotypes of their generation. Not that every boomer is like that, but that's how my dad is. Moving along, this is, this is my generation actually. Um, the millennials born between 1981 and 1996. And one thing you know about us millennials, we love our participation trophies. Uh, I think my first words when I was born and we're like, where's my trophy? Uh, it's just, it's just we, we are ready. That we love our trophy. This is crazy. Listen to this. There's actually a recent independent study conducted on the correlation between work ethic in millennials and participation trophies received. This is crazy. Look at this. There's this graph, and it shows, actually, work ethic on this graph, on this side, you've got participation trophies received, and as participation trophies go up, work ethic just tanks. It's not a good look for us, folks. This is actually not a real graph though. I made this up, this is fake. Um, but some of y'all were like, I've been saying, I knew it. You saw that, you got excited. Y'all got excited when you saw that. No, uh, so after that, we've got Gen Z. Uh, this is many of our high school and college kids today. Gen Z, uh, they are no, they, they're called digital natives because they were born into a world, they don't know a world without the internet or social media. Um, and so, have you ever heard this phrase, iPad baby? Have you ever heard someone, it's, it's not necessarily a comment, it's about it, like a kid, like, oh, they were raised by an iPad. Like, there's always on their tablet. Um, a couple months ago, one of our Gen Z students, they were like, Ben, I bet you were an iPad baby. And it was a real shock to their system. I was like, well, I wasn't, uh, because the iPad would not exist for like another 15 years after I was born. So I couldn't have been an iPad baby. Uh, but thank you for the compliment. That was very kind of you. Uh, but they were shocked. That's just the world they know. They don't know a world without uh, the internet. They don't know a world without social media. And sometimes it is a shock for them when they have to be reminded like, oh yeah, it hasn't always been like this. And lastly, this catches up to present day. This is Gen Alpha. These are kids born between 2013 and the mid-2020s. Um, so current day. It's still a little early to know what their defining factor will be, but we know this, they, many of them were kids during COVID. Uh, and now the older ones are actually sixth and seventh graders. They're middle schoolers, which is crazy. We think Gen Alpha, they're like, oh, they're two years old. They're actually 11 and 12 years old. That's so wild to see. And so 
That's the generation, this is all the generation. We've done that quick recap. Why do I start there? If we're gonna be talking about the next one, why do I start by talking about every generation? Well, studies have shown this. Each generation is becoming significantly more unchurched than the last. The far majority of our churches are in decline and each generation is becoming increasingly unengaged in church. And if this trend continues, fewer people in Collin County five years from now will go to church than they go to today. Our children will have, be less exposed to the gospel and our grandchildren will be even less exposed to the gospel than they were. So if you've been around, maybe you've heard us ask this question before. This is a question we've asked many times. But what is the faith of the next generation worth? We would answer that here by saying it is worth everything. The faith of the next generation needs to be worth everything. But there's tension because if the faith of the next generation, if, if, if we need to make it worth everything, but they are increasingly unengaged and uninterested in church, how can we, how can you and me have influence with the next generation? I think to answer that question, before we even talk about influence, we need to define who is the next generation because if we're gonna say we're for the next one, we need to know who that is. So maybe you've seen the bumper video and it says the next one, so you've been thinking, we're gonna be talking about millennials or we're gonna be talking about Gen Z or we're gonna be talking about whoever, but that's not the definition that we wanna use in, in, in our context of who the next one is. The definition of next gen in our book is this. Anyone coming behind you in age or season. Anyone that is behind you in age or season. So anyone that is behind you, anyone that is after you. For example, say you've got some friends, you're married, you've got some friends that are the same age as you, you've got two kids, but they're just now about to have their first. They're just behind you in that season and so you can have influence with them. And so when we say the next gen, it's not just people younger than you, it's not just Gen Z, but it's anyone behind you in age or season. In other words, this conversation is not just for 60 or 50 or 40 year olds, but you can be 90 or you can be in college and have people coming behind you. You can be in, in high school and have middle schoolers coming behind you. And so that's why I say this, the, the, the next gen is the whole spectrum of people that are coming behind you. And I have a sneaking suspicion that the reason a lot of you are here today, if we're really honest, is because someone showed up for you. Someone showed up for you along the way. You are here, you are where you are today because of someone else. They intersected your life at the right time. Someone showed up to show you what forgiveness looked like. Someone showed up for you when you were in a phase or a season and needed someone to be there. Someone showed up for you and gave you a second chance. Someone showed up for you and gave you a job. That you are here because someone influenced your life in a way that you needed. And so on your way to in today, you got a note card. Um, and what I want you to do, just as, as we're diving in, I want you to take that note card and I want you to write down the name of someone who showed up for you. Right, when you think, when we, when we ask that question, who showed up for you? There's someone that probably pops to your mind and say, I wouldn't be where I am today without this person. And so I just want you to write the name of that person down. And just over the next few minutes, I want you to just quietly in your own heart, be thankful for them because they understood something that before we leave today, I hope that we all collectively understand, and that is this. The best chance, your best chance to have influence in someone else's life, this is gonna be profound, is to actually show up. The best chance that you have to influence someone else is to physically be present. If you're gonna have influence in someone else's life, you have to be present and actually show up before you can make a difference in their lives. And having generation, influence with the next generation, it sounds great. It sounds like something that we all want. But if you're a parent, you know that, that as technology advances, the gaps between generations just seem to be getting bigger and bigger. 
how can I pour into the next generation when I don't even understand them? Not only that, people outside of our generation, they're just different than us, right? We think they're weird or we think they're incompetent or we think they're just awkward, right? They didn't even play outside. How can I relate to them? They, they have terrible t- taste in, in clothes. They have a terrible taste in music. I cannot relate to these people. Or maybe you do show up. Maybe you have been showing up, but you know that if you show up for the next generation, you know this, that it's really hard to see the results of it. And you start to wonder, am I, am I really making a difference? because we don't see those results in me. Some of you, many of you serve uh, in our LPK. Uh, you serve with our kids that, uh, that meet on Sunday. And if you serve in LPK, you know this, you've, you've probably never had a three or four year old who's come up to you right after a, a, a group time and they say, hey, I just wanna say thank you uh, because I understand grace a lot better today because of you. Like <laughs> it just doesn't happen. You've probably never experienced that. And some of you work with our middle schools, middle schoolers and you're very brave and I'm so appreciative of you. And um, You've probably never had a middle school boy come up to you after, uh, after a small group and say, hey, I just wanna let you know, I'm gonna be a better husband in the future because of what you said today. Like that just doesn't happen. Like we, that's, we don't see the results immediately. And so it's hard when we say that we're gonna pour into the next one. It's hard to know if we really have influence or not. So how can we have influence with the next gen? If we are gonna be for the next one, I think that you have to change the way that we think about that word, that word influence. Because the reason I think this is important because if we're actually gonna walk out of here today and we're actually gonna start doing this, we're actually gonna get involved in someone else's life, we're gonna actually show up and be present for them, there's a key to influence that I think every single one of us has to understand. Because I think there's confusion uh, a lot in our culture about what influence is. I think it, it comes, honestly, right now in our culture, because of our politics and a lot of that, we, we're confused about what influence is. Because a lot of us think that influence comes from having power or authority. That if we have power or authority, then we will have influence in someone else's life. That's just how we get it. But if you're a parent, you know how quickly this falls apart. Because if you have a 13-year-old, just because you have the power or the authority to ground them, it does not mean that they are going to listen. And it doesn't mean that you're going to automatically have influence in their life. So maybe there's something else. Maybe you think that you can have influence because you have success. And I, I can just imagine a lot of us in this room being able to tell some great success stories. I mean, just looking at you, you look very successful today. You look great. But if you're trying to influence someone coming along behind you, success may not be the key to your influence. The reason I know this is because my, my wife is a nurse. Um, she's very good at what she does. She has multiple degrees. Uh, her first year working at her hospital, she won Rookie of the Year. Um, she's very good at what she does. Um, she's very successful. But as soon as I get sick, she does not know what she's talking about. This is true. My biggest fear in life, this is kind of weird. I hate admitting this, but my biggest fear in life is appendicitis. Uh, and it sounds, it's so lame. But I read this book in middle school. We had to read this book for class. And it was about all these kids that started dying from appendicitis. I don't even remember what the book's called, but they all died from appendicitis. Spoiler alert, end of the book, they didn't die. They turned into aliens. That stuck with me. And so now every time I get this, this pain, anytime I get a, like a, a, a twitch or anything in my back, I'm like, this is it. Savannah, this is the big one. It's about to go. It's going to pop. And I, I don't know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to turn into an alien, but I know I'm scared. And so I go to Savannah and I say, hey, I think I'm having appendicitis. And she'll say, well, I, I don't think you are. I was like, why not? Because your appendix is actually on the other side. Uh, that's not where it is. And I will usually respond, well, what do you know? You're not even a doctor. <laughs> so I know that <laughs> no matter how much success you have, it will, your influence will fall apart pretty quickly. 
Some of us think that we'll have influence because we have wisdom or, or, or we have something to share. We have insight about how the world works, right? You, all, you know this, you know how the world works. You've experienced so much and you're so ready to share that. And we all know the next generation is lining up and they are ready to listen to what we have to say, right? Maybe not, right? So, so maybe this isn't the way that we will have influence. So if none of these are the key, None of these hold the answer. How can you have influence with the next generation? Now, I believe that there is a type of influence that every single one of us in this room can have despite your age, despite your success, despite your authority, and despite your wisdom. That there is a type of wisdom that every single one of us can have and that influence is because you have the trust of somebody. And if you're a parent who cares about your kids or you're a leader who cares about your employees or you're just someone who has people in your life that you care about, there's a different kind of influence that you should be striving for because this kind of influence that we're gonna be talking about today has to be earned. And if you wanna have influence, just to be crystal clear, you're not gonna have it because you're put in charge or because you're right. You're gonna have influence because you care enough to keep showing up for somebody else. And the more that they know you know them, the more influence you will have. The greatest thing that could happen today is, is that when it comes to, to influence and it comes to talking about the next generation is to simply realize this, that when people know that they matter to you, you have a different kind of influence. And when people know that what matters to them matters to you, you have a different kind of influence. And this is maybe a stretch, especially for some of us who are Christians in the room, but when people know that they matter to you more than what you believe, you have a different kind of influence. I had a student years ago who uh, had just been through so much in life. He just had a really tough upbringing and got to know him really, really well. And after years of, of knowing this kid, he coming to my youth group, uh, he came up to me one day and he said, if I never become a Christian, will you still be my friend? If I never become a Christian, will you still be my friend? And so what we're calling you to do today is to get involved in other people's lives regardless of what they believe and regardless of whether or not you can ever convince them to believe what you believe. Because the real issue is here, do we care enough about people to invest in them and to be around them and invest in their lives and care for them the way that we should? There's actually a word for this. You've probably heard this word before, but I want us to take a little bit of time to think about this word in a new way for just a minute because this word, if we could understand this word, if we could really understand what this word means, I think it could radically change how you lead, how you parent, and how you think about people. That word is this, empathy. And you've heard this word before, and a lot of times we, we take this word, we put empathy and compassion, we put them in a similar boat, right? But, but the truth is, I think these two are different. Brene Brown actually explains it in an amazing way. Brene Brown talks about how if, if someone falls into a pit, this is the difference between empathy and compassion. If someone falls into a hole, and you see them down in the hole, and you say, well, here's a sandwich because I know you're hungry. I can tell you're hungry because you're down in this hole. You haven't eaten in a while, so here's a sandwich. That is compassion. We see someone, and out of compassion, we meet their need. But empathy is something different. Empathy means that you get on a ladder and you crawl down into that hole with them, and you experience what it's like in the hole, and you do life with them in the hole so that you can understand what they feel. And it involves putting someone else's interests above your own. It involves this level of humility and influence is counterintuitive that way. That we would, it requires us to value someone else above ourselves. 
It requires that you serve someone else. It, it requires that we set aside our power, our authority, our wisdom, and even our I told you so's and getting down on their level and experiencing life how they experience it. And you may say, well, how do we do this? How do we learn this? Who is your example for this kind of empathy? I'm so glad you asked because I believe we have the greatest model to ever live, the greatest model on the planet of what it means to show up in someone else's world and to understand them. And this is such a powerful principle because we believe that Jesus stepped out of heaven. He stepped into our world. He showed up into our life. He walked among us so that we could know that he knew what we felt and how we live and what we struggle with. And, 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 and it's so important. There's some passages of scripture that actually talk about Paul who is at one time in a religious system. He actually then meets Jesus and begins to follow Jesus and understand who Jesus really is. Paul, after that, he explains this, this idea in a letter that he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter two, verses three through seven. And just notice what this, this passage says. It's so powerful. He says this in, in Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. For just a second, he says to put your own interests on pause, why? So that you can look at the interests of someone else. And I think there's a whole host of issues in our world that could be resolved if we just did that. If we just put pause on our own interests for long enough to look at someone else and value them and value what they are interested in. But notice how Paul really explains what this means. He, he continues and he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He says this is a mental thing and he wants you to think like Jesus thinks and he wants you to follow Jesus in such a way that it changes how we view people. It changes how we view others. And so how is it that Jesus modeled this? What is it that Jesus did? Notice this, it's amazing. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now stay right there with me for just a second. If there was anyone who could have ever leveraged his own power or authority to have influence, it was Jesus. If there was anyone who could have ever leveraged their own rightness to have influence, it was Jesus. If there was anyone who could ever leverage their own wisdom to have influence, it was Jesus. And Jesus put his authority, he put his, his power, he put his rightness on hold, he pressed pause, and what did he do? He made himself nothing. He continues, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. But why do you think Jesus did that? Why did Jesus go to that extreme for you and for me? Here's why, because he wanted a different kind of a relationship with you and with me than one that comes from simply having influence or authority or power in someone's life. He wanted a different kind of relationship with you and with me, the kind of relationship that comes when you understand that he understands. How do I know that? Because there's another passage in scripture in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 and 16, and it talks, it says something very similar to this. It says, it's so powerful, this image that we get. Look what it says right here in Hebrews chapter four. It says, we do not have a high priest. We do not have someone who is removed, someone who is disconnected, someone who's looking down, us, down on us in a hole. It says, we don't have a high priest like that who cannot connect. We don't have a high priest who is unable to, say this word with me, to empathize 
with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Why did he do this? Because this is, this is amazing. This is the result. Therefore, now we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is huge. This is good news. This is the gospel that we as Christians celebrate, that you can run to Jesus and you can run to God with all of your issues, with all of your problems, with all of your baggage, because he understood you. He showed up for humanity. He stepped into your world and your life and understands what you went through. And now we get to have a different kind of relationship with him. And that is where our idea of empathy that seems so backwards to many of us, it seems so counterintuitive to us, that's where our idea of empathy comes from. Because most of us, if we saw someone down in a well, we would look at them and we would give them advice on how not to fall in the well again. We'd say, or maybe, here, here's, here's how to get out of the well. I'll give you some advice. Here's my wisdom. Most of us, that's how we would see someone else in the well. But Jesus did something so different. I think I might know why. Because here's what many of you in the room know, that, it, that if you've ever shown up for someone else, this is what you know about this idea of showing up. When you establish the habit of showing up for others, it changes you more than it changes them. And the reason I know this is because you are surrounded by people right now who if you went to lunch with them and you sat down and you started talking to them, they would say, man, I, I thought I had a great faith. I, I, my things were going great in my faith. And then I started showing up for so I started showing up for kids. I started showing up for teenagers. I started showing up for adults. I started showing up for married people. And it changed me in such a way. It changed my faith and it started to stretch me in a way that I never would have imagined had I not done it. And the flip side is true too. You're living proof of it, that when someone else shows up for you, it makes a difference in your life as well. That's why we had you write down the names of some of the people that showed up for your life, that showed up for you in your life. But I don't want you to just hear me talk about this. I, I wanna invite someone to the stage. This is one of our students, Matt. I want you to hear from Matt and, and hear him because he is a living example of what this looks like. He demonstrates this. Y'all welcome Matt to the stage. This is Matt Kasanick. Um, we call him Matty Ice, so if you hear me call him Matty Ice, same guy, just a nickname. Matt, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Dude, it's so great to have you here. Okay, so Matt, let me just tell, tell you, you guys about Matt. Matt's awesome. Uh, he's so much fun. He's a junior at Rock Hill High School. Um, Matt, you're on the cross country and the track team. Yes, sir. I yeah. Am. And uh, just yesterday, or the past two days, Friday and mm -hmm. Saturday, you had a meet. Yes, sir. And you did something cool there, right? Yeah, we broke a school record. You broke a school record. Um, yeah, so... And whose school record did you break? We broke the four by 800 meter, it was who, a relay. Yeah, who was on that original team? It was, I was on the original He was on that team, he broke his own original. record this weekend. He's humble, <laughs> he doesn't want to brag, but he broke his own school record this weekend. But that's not your only school record. You have how many school records? Three. Three, he's a part of three records uh, for cross country and track. Um, this is impressive, you can run a mile. Some of you thought that was the impressive part, which it is, <laughs> I can't. But you can, how fast can you run a mile? Uh, four minutes and 34 seconds. Four minutes. You're like, man, he might be able to run mine in like eight minutes. That'd be super cool. You're like, no, half of that. Four minutes and 34 seconds, he can run a mile. Um, just a while ago, you were telling me, just before school one day, y'all were just practicing. You ran 14 miles. Yep, long run day. Long run. That's longer than a half marathon. Um, how long did that take you? About an hour and 22 minutes, I think. <laughs> hour and 22. That's averaging five minutes and 50, minute, 50 seconds every mile that's in a row we're not just like these aren't just different miles that's crazy i felt good that day yeah i'm sure you did 
Matt, you're also part of something called YMSL, which is a young men's service league. Yes, sir. Yeah, and so that's just guys at your school. Y'all get together mm-hmm. and just serve the community? Yep, guys in our school, our district, um, in the area, we just kind of get together, do service projects, serve at different like community food banks. Um, there's one where we go and build ramps for people with wheelchairs in their homes. That way it's easier for them to get into their houses, and I, I really like that one. That's one of my favorites. It's awesome, man. Um, you make great grades. You're hoping to get into West Point Military Academy, right? Yes, sir. I actually talked to their cross-country coach the other day. We had a phone call. It was, it was pretty cool to see that just colleges and going through the next step in life and just trying to get part of that. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, on top of that, you're like, man, this guy's, this guy's slammed. He's so busy. He's the night manager at the restaurant he works at in Prosper called Conchetta's. Yep. And he's just running the kitchen. Running the kitchen at <laughs> night, yes, sir. Listen up. Matt told me if you go to Conchetta's and use the code Matty Ice, you'll actually get free Italian food for nope, a year. That's not a real code. <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> Try it, see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> Matt, on top of that, though, this is crazy. On top of that, you still find sir, time to serve an LPK mm-hmm. and with our setup and teardown team. Yes, sir. That's great. And some of you think you're too busy to serve. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I had to go there. But, dude, you're so busy. Yes, you sir. still find time to pour into other kids' lives. And so I want to ask you just three questions. Mm-hmm. Was there a time in your life when someone showed up for you, and what kind of difference did that make in your life? Someone who showed up in my life, especially was my student leader, uh, Mr. Bruce Bryant. And he just kind of helped me, guide me along, going from eighth grade and ninth grade, making that transition to high school, made it a lot smoother and a lot easier. And as I got older, and gone through my high school years, he kind of was just with me the whole time and he guided me and helped grow my faith and that kind of really poured into me and allowed me to be the person I am right now. Yeah, that's all. Bruce is one of our high school leaders, yeah. Um, that meets with our students every week at Inside Out on Sunday evenings. And so you're still mm-hmm. in his group. You've been in his group for, what, four years now. That's four awesome. years, yep. Uh, Matt, tell me this. Who is someone that you have shown up for and what kind of impact did showing up for someone else make on your life? I really show up for LP Kids. I volunteer with the fourth and fifth graders most weeks, and I really enjoy doing that and seeing the kids grow and see their faith progress over the years. And some of them now are in middle school, and that's crazy to be like, I, I was with these kids. I saw them when they were in fourth and fifth grade, and now they're going in the middle school, and they're coming to the student service with us on Sundays, and it's just awesome to see how they grew and see their faith, and that just makes me kind of view back on myself and be like, I really had an impact on these kids' lives, and it just shows how much I can grow as a person from pouring into other people. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And if you have a kid who goes to, to our four or five group and gets to go be with Matt, you are very lucky. I walk down there a lot and, and just <laughs> peek in. And most times I peek back there. He, Matt's standing there. There's a kid on his back and there's one on each leg and there's one tying his shoes together. And he's just got the biggest smile on his face and he's just happy to be back there. And we, we meet up mm-hmm. um, uh, quite a bit and we get to talk. And each week when we meet up, I ask you, uh, I'll say, Matt, what, where'd you serve this week? And if it's LPK, what did God teach you? Mm-hmm. What do you usually say? Patience. <laughs> a lot of patience learned by those serving kids. with the, those <laughs> kids. But man, you do such a great job. Matt, I want to ask you this mm-hmm. and, and, and wrap this up. Why is showing up for the next generation worth it? It's so worth it. It's just because that's the next generation. That's the people who are going to be here after us. And just to know that 
we are pouring into them and we're going to help them become better versions of themselves is just see the next generation progress and not go backwards but go forward in their faith and also it's just kind of see out ourselves progress in our faith and see where we started with them and see them to progress but at the same time we're progressing with them we're going together with them and seeing that union just kind of that bond with the younger generation and it builds just such strong relationships and just to see that is just amazing I, I feel like that's awesome man y'all give it up for Maddie Ice and he's the best Now here's the big ask, you, you, you've all seen this, this ask is coming, you knew it was coming, right? The student pastor, he's teaching on the heels of the student weekend, we even got a student up here to guilt you about it. Uh, here's your application, I want every single one of you to sign up to serve in our student ministry. I'm kidding, I wouldn't do that to our students, I wouldn't do that to them. <laughs> here's the truth, here's the truth, because that's probably what you expect that this message is about. Hey, we need volunteers. But the truth is, I don't need a lot of all of you to serve in our student ministry. We have some incredible volunteers who serve week in and week out with our students. We don't, we don't need a bunch. Maybe we could use a few, but we don't need all of you to come serve with students. And the truth is, I don't want you to come serve with my student ministry. Here's why. Because you have something to ask, offer to the generation directly behind you. What we're asking you to do is not just, hey, come serve with the kids or come serve with the students. What we want you to do today, and if, you really, if we really grasp this, it's something so fundamentally different than let's all go serve in kids ministry, that we want you to show up for your next generation. Show up and serve your next generation because you have so much to offer them that many others cannot. Remember, your next generation is whoever is behind you in age or season. If you're recently an empty nester, show up for a single mom. If you've lost a spouse, show up for someone who's recently lost a spouse. Pour into the generation that is behind you. But as you pour into your next generation, we ask that you would support us as we go after and prioritize the faith of the next generation. Right now, that is Gen Z, that is Gen Alpha. Because and I, I wanna share this stat with you. We've shared it before, but I, I hope it's something that haunts you like it does me. I hope it's something that keeps you up at night. And the stat is this, that 96% of Christians begin to follow Christ before the age of 30. That we cannot lose sight of the next generation because they are our greatest mission field. If most people will accept Christ before the age of 30, we have to go all in on the next generation. We have to make it a priority. And that is why we're talking about this. And that's why the next generation will continue to be important to us. That's why we ask this question, what is the faith of the next generation worth? We answer that by saying everything. But that word worth implies that there is a cost. It will cost you something to go after the next generation. It will cost us something to show up and be involved in the next generation. But this isn't really about what you can do. This isn't the story of a lot of people in the room who did something great when they showed up. This is about what God did through them. You see, when you show up and you bring God into the equation, it changes everything. And if you get involved in doing the thing that God wired you and designed you to do, it will change you more than it changes the people you show up for. But it has to start with a decision. It has to start with a decision that I'm gonna be willing to show up for someone else. So I want you to take that card out that we gave you that you wrote a few names on earlier, the people that showed up for you, and I want you to flip it over. And on the back of that card, 
what I want you to do is I want you to write down the name of somebody you should show up for. Write down the name of someone that you should show up for. And let's get really practical about this because none of this will make any difference if we just show up, have a great time, have a great conversation, and we just talk about, oh yeah, we need to love people, we need to like people, we need to show up for people. But something radical could happen if everyone in this room listening to this decided, I'm gonna leave this place with a brand new zeal and a brand new determination to show up for someone specific. And some of you already have that name. And so what I want you to do is write down that name um, on the back of your card. And if you don't have a name that comes to mind immediately, that's okay too. For those of you who don't have a name, I want you to write this down. I want you to explore some of the ministries that we offer here at LifePoint. Maybe it is student ministry. Uh, maybe it's our kids' ministry or our preschool ministry. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's some of our, 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 the organizations that we partner with, some of our local mission partners, uh, like, uh, like Real Options that serves pregnant mothers. Maybe you could join the, the team that, that serves with uh, Children's Hunger Fund to deliver food packs to families all throughout the week. But I wanna challenge you with this because I think the temptation is to hear this message and think, well, if, if, this, if we're for the next generation, then if I'm older than 30, this church must not be for me and that's not the case because we need you. And, and I wanna challenge you with this as we close and then I'll pray. If you've been here for two or three years and you've, all you've been doing is showing up in here and you're not showing up out there for other people, your growth will be stunted. Your growth will get stuck. If all you're doing is just showing up here and not showing up out there, you will get stuck. And the best way to take your faith to the next level to really begin growing and really stretch yourself and to really grow is to actually start showing up for someone else because it will stretch you intellectually, it will stretch you spiritually, it will stretch you emotionally, and you will grow in a way you never would have grown unless you actually started to show up for someone else. And, and learn and understand what it means to get involved with other people and to show up. It's when you show up for someone else, it keeps the cycle moving. You're showing up for someone else because they showed up for you. And, and there's this story that God wants to share with your life because someone else showed up for you and now you're showing up for someone else. And so what I wanna do is, is I wanna pray for us. And as we do that, I just wanna give you some time uh, to write down that name if you haven't done that yet. But would you please pr stand with me as we pray and close today? Father, God, we just thank you so much, God, that you loved us enough to step down into our hole, to step down into our world, to show us a new kind of relationship, that you're not a God who is far away, but you are a God who knows us deeply. You know what we go through. But God, we can now come to you, we can come boldly to you because of what you did through your son, Jesus. And so God, I just pray that every single one of us in the room, because of what you've done for us, that it would change something inside of us and we would see the need to start showing up for someone else. That we would see a desire to show up in someone else's life and show them grace and to show them mercy just like you have shown us, Lord. God, so I just pray for each of us, uh, those cards that we're holding in our hand. God, that you would use that, that we would, you would give us a name, that you would give us a, an area, that you would or at least keep this nagging on our heart until we find someone, God, to show up for. And that we would love them and show them grace and show them mercy and show up and show them that we care and show them how much you love them, Lord. Because that's why we do this, God, because you loved us first. So Lord, we thank you. It's all in your mighty name we pray. Amen.